Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, we just want to hear from you this morning, so please guide us and lead us by your spirit. Lord, we just appreciate who you are in our lives. So Lord, help us to savor that today a bit. Help us to savor your goodness, just your simple instruction to us, and just guide us and lead us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. As you're turning there, let me remind you that uh, James, the book of James, is a book <clears throat> that's a little bit difficult sometimes to read because James is kind of raising the bar for us a little bit. And, um, you know, we've, uh, we've talked the last three weeks that, uh, you know, we can live our Christian life. Uh, and again, if you go back to the parable of the, of the sower, we can, live our Christian, we can live a life like, I don't have anything to do with God. Well, if that was you, you probably wouldn't be here in church this morning. So then there's the second group that's like, yeah, that's awesome. I love God. And, and yet uh, there's not that resilience. There's not the, uh, the stamina. There's not the, the it, it's just an emotional thing. And anybody know, raise your hand if your emotions have been steady and unshaking and unchanging and resilient like mine since uh, the day you were born. All right, me and Craig. That's because we dress alike. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if, you're, if your Christian experience is an emotional experience, it won't weather the storms. Just simple as that. It won't weather the storms. And so, you know, that's, the, that's represented by the, the soil that's, uh, or the, the seed that falls on the, the soil, the heart, if you will, the soil that's uh, full of rocks. Well, then there's another kind of soil that's full of thorns. And uh, I, I, love the, I love and yet I'm a little bit, have a little bit of fear and trembling by Jesus' words. He says that soil represents the kind of person who really receives the word, is all about this Christian thing, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things chokes out the fruitfulness of the word. Can I suggest, if we have a desire for other things, we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, this morning. If we have a desire for other things, then uh, it may be, I mean, you know, we all have things that we enjoy in life and all of that. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But if we have a desire for other things that chokes out the fruitfulness of God's word in our lives, I don't want anybody to be condemned by that, Okay. But I would say, if you're in the sound of my voice, probably what that means is you don't realize how good God is. It's like if I could offer you something that's amazing or something that's sort of a cheap substitute, you would say, I don't really think I want the cheap substitute. And I think so oftentimes... In, in the body of Christ, and I don't want to go off too far on this, but I think so oftentimes in the body of Christ, we're sort of sold a cheap substitute. 
we're sort of sold a flavor of, of Christianity that just feels a little bit religious. Uh, it just feels like, uh, you know, it's got all the, the, you know, it's like we learn the Christian handshake, we learn the Christian music, we learn the Christian vocabulary, but we never really learn, like, the extent to which God loves me. And God laid down his life for me. And God continues to guide me and lead me and bless me in ways, as Ephesians says, above and beyond anything I could ask or even imagine. That's the God we serve. And so if the, if the, if the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things choke out the fruitfulness of the word in our lives, it, it's probably because we just don't realize how good God is. And so I want to always send the message not to beat us up for like oh you're distracted by the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things shame on you shame on you shame on you no the the right answer to that is i want you to know how good god is i want you to know that god is amazing and god loves you and that should be the motivator for everything we do and so then the fourth kind of soil is the soil that bears fruit, the soil that realizes how good God is, and we all want to be that kind of soil, right? Well, the point is, James is writing to sort of towards that fourth group. James, James is, talking about, is talking to the Christian that really wants to kind of uh, be all in for the Lord, if you will. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think we want to be those people. Um, I will tell you, over the years, I feel like I've, I've encountered the four types pretty clearly. Pretty clearly. I've encountered a lot of the four types. And, um, and I'm not, you know, I think I'm old enough now. I don't, I don't get mad at the, at, the three, at, the, at the other three types anymore, right? I get kind of grieved for them, right? The person that spits in your eye and says, I don't want to hear it, you know, in the old days, I would spit back, right? Now I'm like, I feel bad for that guy. The guy says, yeah, I'm all, yeah, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. And, and, and I know, I know, I know that I know that like, yeah, that's an emotional thing and you're going to flounder quite a bit. My heart breaks for that guy. The guy that's like, yeah. That's awesome, but, you know, I got, life happens, and I got stuff to take care of, and, you know, and I really kind of like my toys, and kind of want to preserve my toys, and, you know, all that, and I'm like, oh, kind of breaks my heart. So, I mean, James really, and honestly, I got five weeks to talk about it. This is the fourth one. James gives me an opportunity to just say, let's be that fourth, that fourth type of soil. The first one, uh, that's probably none of us because we're in church. The second two, uh, I've seen them. I've seen them over the years. And my heart kind of breaks for them. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an inferior life. It's a life that lacks uh, really the fulfillment that God wants us to have. So, James raises the bar for us, okay? James is talking to that, to that fourth group of people. And so... He starts out, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? So 
You know, I gave you that nice, gentle, gracious, God loves you warning, right? Because James is going to pop you in the, cheek, in, the, in the jaw, right? It's like, whoa, lighten up, James, right? And keep in mind that, you know, the original chapter breaks weren't in the original text, right? So, you know, if you think about it, think of this as a continuation of the thought that he ended with in chapter 3. Just listen to this. Who is wise and under... Back up to chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good works, by good, by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So he's talking about there's a worldly wisdom that's kind of man-made selfishness, basically, and there's godly wisdom. But he says, look at this. Just, just imagine this is like a warm blanket on a cool evening or whatever, right? But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Don't you just want to snuggle up to that verse? Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he says, you know what? Where envy and self-seeking exist, there's confusion and there's every evil thing there, but the wisdom that's from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's the formula for peace. The wisdom that's from above. And then it's almost like, comma, by the way, where do wars and fights come from among you, right? He jumps from peace to wars and fights. You know, you kind of wish he would have stopped at peace, right? But we don't stop at peace, right? Because we're humans. And we have contentions with one another. He says, where do wars and fights come? They come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. Now, James is going to, James, this chapter is going to describe three types of wars that he's talking about. There's the war among us, right? He says, hey, where do wars and fights come from among you? Like, do, and among you, by the way, he's writing to Christians. Do Christians ever argue and fight and split churches and do stuff? Right? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're getting a little wild. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Right? Christians fight like cats and dogs. Right? Sometimes, now here's, this is just a, th- I'm off now on my opinion, right? Paul sometimes, he'll, when Paul's writing scripture, it's like, uh, he does this in Corinthians, I think elsewhere, but he'll, he'll go through and, and he'll pause for a second, he'll say, now I'm giving you my opinion. And then he'll go back to, okay, now I'm writing Scripture, right? He knows he's writing Scripture, but he pauses there to give you an opinion. So I'm going to pause right now. I'm, I'm teaching God's Word, but right now I'm going to pause and give you an opinion. Is that okay? Good. I think Christians are sometimes, because of who we are, we have some conviction. We have this, we have this inner thermometer of right and wrong, Right? Like if, you know, if I uttered some heresy from here, 
God forbid, you would hopefully have enough discernment to say, ooh, that's wrong, right? And yet we sometimes dial that down into our own little opinion, right? Like, I think everybody ought to dress like me and Craig, right? And I can get so, because I'm, because I am a Christian, because I have this sort of acute sense of right and wrong, and I feel like, you know, there's a lot of wrong in the world, there's a lot of evil in the world, there's a lot of of uh, bad influence in the world and we can we, you know we don't have to be too creative to, f- to find that or to identify that sometimes I can be a little as my mother used to say opinionated fair enough and so I think there's a there's a healthy reminder for Christians that might even be specific to Christians that says you know what it's okay to have those, those opinions, but be careful to tease out what are the biggies and what are like my opinions and what are like, well, it's okay for you to do what you're going to do, right? I mean, some, in, in matters of, of, you know, you know, was Jesus born of a virgin? Yeah, I'm not going to cave on that, Right? Frankly, did God create the world in six days, six literal days? I'm not going to cave on that, but I'm not going to fight you over that. Fair enough? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, as long as you'll listen, all the reasons why I believe with all my heart that God created the world in six literal days and the teaching of evolution has indoctrinated our society and our world, frankly, so bad that, that there's tons of, of bad ripple effects in our thinking as human beings related to the theory of evolution. Now, am I going to fight you over that? I'm not going to fight you over that. I'm going to tell you God loves you. I'm going to tell you God's word is, is infallible, inerrant, and I'm going to encourage you to look it up for yourselves. That's how I'll do that. Does that make sense? Okay. So, there's three kinds of wars. Number one, wars amongst Christians. Number two, a war inside ourselves, right? You ever notice uh, Galatians talks about the flesh and the spirit are at enmity with one another. Galatians chapter 5, the flesh and the spirit, they, they sort of fight one another within me. You, know, you feel that, right? We all have that experience. We all know what we're talking about. And there's sometimes there's a third kind of war. Sometimes my war, about, my war with God. Now, you may think, I'm a Christian. I'm, an, I'm not at war with God. Well, in subtle ways, sometimes we are when we try to demand our own way, when we try to direct our lives and ask God to bless it rather than asking God what, what we should do, right? So there's three kinds of wars. He says, hey, where do the wars amongst you guys come from? Well, they come from your desire for pleasure. They come from the inside. They come from, from you. And so just remember we... we talked last week about the tongue, right? About the human tongue and, and how much damage it can do. And, and it, can do, it can either bless or curse. And the tongue is really a manifestation of the human heart. In the same sense, our interpersonal conflict is often a manifestation of our individual selfishness, what James would say. He says, wars and fights come from your desire for pleasure 
that war in your members. The desire for pleasure, that word desire for pleasure is translated lust in the King James. And the reality is, oftentimes, we fight because we're selfish. James, James 4, verse 1. We fight with one another because we're selfish. Notice also, he says here, wars and fights. Think of it like big things and little things. Big things and little things. It takes a wise person to discern what things are not worth picking a fight over. He goes on, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. So these are hard words, right? These are hard words. You lust and do not have. Why do you lust and do not have? Well, if you do lust, and this is not just a, um, well, let's just say, you know, I'm being recorded. Okay, let's use the word lust broadly. Is that fair? Uh, lust is not just, um, I can lust for anything. Lust is any kind of passion that I have that I want, I want to fulfill my own selfish desires. A lust is any kind of selfish desire that I think is more important than really God intended. Okay? Is that feeling ever satisfied? Ever. Let's say you have a lust for fast cars. Okay? I'm a guy. So, it's kind of a guy thing, right? Let's say you have a lust for fast cars. You buy one. You buy a fast car. Super fast car. Prior to the moment that you close the deal on that car, what do you think that car is going to do for you? That'd be, I mean, you might as well die. You've got nothing left to live for, right? Because that car is going to bring you ultimate fulfillment. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Lady, <laughs> ladies are all nodding their head no. I'd give you an example, but I don't know what your thing is. Um, <laughs> what happens the moment, the moment you buy that, that fast car that's going to change your life forever? There's a faster one. Because, because you're the guy that bought that car, you're also the guy that reads those stupid magazines. And those stupid magazines, what are they? Fastcar.com, Car and Driver. Is Car and Driver one of them? Who's admitting it? Who admits that you knew what that? Gary. So, Motor Trend, thank you. He's one of those guys. So you buy that fast car. Right? And you're flipping through Motor Trend that evening after an exhilarating ride down some country road and you discover the worst thing that could happen to you. There's a faster car. Right? Now this applies to anything, does it not? The flesh is never, ever satisfied. Can I give you some great financial advice? Learn that before you buy your first two or three or four or five cars or boats. Or we were talking earlier. I hope I'm not um, 
stepping on any toes in, in our town, but like, how many accessories can you put on an ATV? Really? Right? And it's been a great thing for our community, so whatever. Earl's not here to edit the tape, but that's okay. So, you know, there, there's, you could save a lot of energy by just realizing that the flesh is never satisfied. Does that mean we can't have fun in life? No, we can have fun in life. But just know that the flesh is never satisfied. He goes on, he says, um, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. That's strong language. James wants us to see that our unsatisfied lust is a big problem and causes lots of conflict. You know, I said the human desire for human pleasure is insatiable. The desire for godly fulfillment is satiable. And God loves to bless his children. You murder and covet cannot obtain. You know, often when we find that our flesh is unsatisfied, what's, you know, one of the worst things, let's go back to the car thing. So I got a fast car. What happens if one of my Christian brothers has a faster car? Race time. Not race time. And I know I would lose the race. What happens if one of my Christian brothers has a faster car? That's like more red than my car. Trade it in, right? What do I get? That scumbag Christian brother has a faster car than mine. Scumbag. Right? Do we do that? I mean, I'm, I'm, this is an extreme example. It's an erroneous example, okay? But in subtle ways, do we do, this do we do these things? Because if I'm focused on my flesh, and my flesh is never satisfied, one of the ways I'm going to manifest that is I'm going to look to others. And I'm going to start playing the comparison game. Is the comparison game ever satisfied? Never. Never. Because everybody else's, you know, everybody else's life is perfect and mine is imperfect because of whatever deficiency I have or whatever this or that. And, and if I'm not careful, I can start playing this comparison game. My flesh is never satisfied. Your, yours always seems to be satisfied. And it's a trap that we cannot get out of. So what do we do? We fight and war. He says, you fight and war. Remember James 3.16, we said where envy and self-seeking exists, there's confusion in every evil thing. We fight in war. Now, sometimes our selfishness is not just the car or the, you know, the toy. Sometimes our selfishness is our pet opinion or our pet doctrine or our pet ideal. And we... We want to hold on to that so bad that that becomes sort of a lust of our flesh. We've got to be careful with that as well. Verse 3 goes on. He says, uh, well, at the end of verse 2, he says, you have because you do not ask. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, does God love to answer prayer? Absolutely. 
You ever notice some of your prayers don't get answered? Now, this is not, uh, uh, if your prayers don't get answered the way you want, doesn't mean that you're necessarily asking amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures, but sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes that happens. You know, one of the most, one of the most fundamental challenges in our Christian life is the thing, honestly, I'm, I am very much a work in progress on this, so I'm not speaking to you as an expert, okay? I am speaking to you as a guy who's a couple inches farther along than I, than I was 20 years ago. I'll tell you this. One of the fundamental challenges of the Christian life is, do I make plans and then ask God to bless it? And if so, who's driving that? You get it? Now you may say, well, okay, this sounds like you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Well, of course, you know, if you pray for that Ferrari, you, you may not get it. I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm talking about in general. I'm talking about in general. There's a fundamental challenge. And that is, do I make my plans and then ask God to bless it? Or do I ask God, what are your plans? It's subtle, but it's real. It's very real. It's very real. Warren Wiersbe, who I quoted last week, I've I've been on a roll a little bit reading him, and I, I love what he has to say. He says, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done on earth, on heaven, in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. How often do we pray, God, would you please? God, would you please? God, can I please? Right? How many of our prayers start like that? Now, the Bible encourages us to ask God for stuff, right? And James will later tell us the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If somebody's sick, we should pray for him and all those things, right? There's, so supplication, asking God for stuff, is a very healthy part of our prayer life. My point is, is that the sum total of our prayer life? Sometimes we could say, God, would you please give me wisdom? God, would you please help my agenda line up with your agenda? But too often we say, God, can, would you please let me do this or let me have that or would you please work this situation out the way I want it to be worked out and God may have something infinitely better for you. And sometimes when we, sometimes we, we look for the, for the short fix and we miss a much better long-term fix. Now, is it okay to pray and ask God for direction, for provision, for healing, for those kinds of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we, we need to be sure, again, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. God knows best. God knows what I need. God knows what I need way better than I do.
Verse 4. If he hasn't been uh, straightforward enough with us so far, he goes on. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity meaning like conflict or, or hatred. Who there, whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So now he's transitioning into the third kind of conflict. The first was the conflict that we have with one another. The second was the conflict within ourselves, my conflict of, of trying to fight off the desires of my flesh. The third is the conflict with God. Now you'd say, you know what, I'm not in any conflict with God. I don't fight God. I don't argue with God. I know that God... If I tried, God would win. All those things are true. But here God, here James calls these Christian people that he's writing to adulterers and adulteresses. Now, what's he talking about? He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Think about this. I heard one guy tell this example this week. Think about this geopolitically, okay? We all know about various countries around the world. Some are friends with some, and some are enemies with some, and, you know, all of that, right? Does that make sense? What would you think if Canada became friends with, like, Iran or North Korea, and, like, they're just right there up on our northern border, and they're like, hey, you guys want to hang out? Right, like the Canadian leaders hanging out with the North Korean leaders, and they're all like chummy. Next thing you know, there's these you know people in Canada are starting to speak Korean, North Korean. Next thing you know, they're starting to like build up some military strongholds. Right? If you're in America, what do you think about that? If you're an American leader. What would you think about that? Like you're responsible for the safety and welfare of your country. Let's say you're, let's. <clears throat> I'm going on to my opinion here for again, again for just a second. Let's say, for example, that you're an American political leader and you care first and foremost about the welfare and safety of your country. All right? Okay, I'm back. What would you think about those North Korean military embankments up there in Canada? They never, now, the Canadians never had any, they never, they, never, they never said anything negative about America. They never, like, shot at us or anything like that. What, what, it's no biggie. You see the idea? Our alliances are probably more significant than we might realize, spiritually speaking. He says... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You know, it's possible, and the world, meaning like the world system, the world, the world economy, the world, uh, the world system, that's all I can say, the world system, right? It goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, right? The world system was going to build a tower so strong and so tall that we could... You know, we could conquer anything. We don't need God. That's sort of the mindset. When I say the world, that's the mindset I'm talking about. 
We can become so friendly with that as Christians that it's like, okay, if push comes to shove, where does your loyalty lie? Does your loyalty lie with, you know, you don't want to be a like freak in the eyes of society. You want to just be like, you want to fit in. You want to value the things that they value. There's a, you know, but sooner or later you can, be some, you can become so friendly with that that you're now in hostility with God by virtue of our alliances. Again, you know, honestly, that plays out differently with different, with different ones of us, right? So I can't tell you, you know, you can't, you know, this is where you've got to be very careful as Christians, right? You know, there have been people over the years, well, you can't listen to rock and roll music. Well, is that what that means? It might mean that for you, right? Oh, you can't do this. You can't see these kind of movies. I'm not going to say that, but there is something. There's something for each of us in our journey with the Lord that we need to be careful. Am I being too friendly with the world relative to my loyalty to God? He said, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? So the Holy Spirit, here's another interesting example. The Holy Spirit in us yearns jealously. Now, sometimes we think of jealousy as a negative thing, right? But let's say, for example, I love my wife, right? And somebody comes in here and starts flirting with my wife. Should I say, oh, yeah, whatever. You're right. She is pretty cool. Right? Would I say that? No. I'd get a little territorial. Right? I'd get a little jumpy. Right? I should be. I should be. How much more so... Should God get a little jumpy if we're too friendly with the world, right? So a little jealousy is not a bad thing, maybe even a lot of jealousy. James says the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, capitalized, who dwells in us. As Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He yearns jealously when we get too friendly with the world. Now, these have been hard words we've been reading, right? In the midst of these hard words, look at this, verse 6. I love this. But he gives more, what? Grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love this. It's interesting that such strong words are followed by a reminder of God's grace. Grace is always the solution to our spiritual challenges and our conflicts. And notice here he says, specifically, he gives more grace. Remember I said the flesh is never satisfied? Well, on the other side of that, God's grace always outdoes our selfishness. God's grace always outdoes our sin nature. Always outdoes our flesh. God's always willing to extend more grace 
to overcome our limitations. Our job is to be humble and to receive it. God resists the proud. We don't want to be resisted by God, but we want to receive grace. God resists the proud. God gives grace to the humble. And so here's what you, what you have. When we find ourselves in a position where, and I've, I've, been, in, I've been in this place. I've, sometimes I've had my, in my mind, I have to do a little bit of a reset, right? Like, um, I remember years ago, I had a friend, this one we lived in Indianapolis. I had a friend that I kind of admired uh, who was not really walking with the Lord. And I found myself after a little while, like, kind of talking like him, acting like him, thinking like him, right? And I kind of had to do a little bit of a reset. And sometimes it's okay to do a little bit of a reset. When you come to that realization, you know what? I'm getting a little bit too friendly with the world. Maybe I am like the soil that is in the, in the, surrounded by thorns and thistles and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things are choking out the fruitfulness of it. Maybe my life's not as fruitful as it should be. You know what that's a good time to be? Humble. Humble. You know why? Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And there's always more grace. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, uh, therefore, because God's grace is available to the humble, we should submit to him. The word, the word submit here is a military word, meaning get in your proper rank. Right? Now, I've never been in the military. Some of you guys have. What if I'm like a private in the military, right? And somehow we're sitting around and like in, I don't know, somehow I come up to the commanding officer, right? And like I slap him on the shoulder and say, yo, dude, what's up? How would that roll for me? Anybody been in the military? How long is my career? About two minutes longer, right? Long enough to get me out of there. I don't say, yo, dude, what's up to the general. And guess what? I don't say, yo, dude, what's up to God. Right? I stay in my lane. And I've, again, I'm, not, I'm on a journey with this too. But I've learned this. I'm a, I'm a couple inches farther along of this than I was 20 years ago. I'm learning how to stay in my lane. Right? I'm... My mother had so much wisdom. She told me I was opinionated. She said, uh, here's another one. Uh, mothers, you might want to write this one down. She said, you worry about Scott. Not like the neighbor kid Scott, me Scott, right? You worry about Scott. And I'm like, that's kind of, a, that's kind of got some spiritual application, right? If I'm, if I'm right with God, if I'm humble enough to receive his grace because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, then, then you know, if you dial this kind of backwards of what we've been saying, if I'm, if I'm right with God, that first sort of war, if you will, is settled. The next thing you know, I'm satisfied with him. I'm fulfilled with him. I don't have all these lusts of the world that I'm struggling with. 
And by extension, usually I'm an easier guy to get along with. Right? So he says, submit to God. Meaning, stay in your lane. Stay in rank. Resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. That's a promise of the scripture. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how do you resist the devil? You just say no to his temptation. You call him for what he is and uh, sometimes you have to say, in Jesus' name, leave me alone, right? Sometimes that's a healthy prayer. In Jesus' name, just leave me alone. We resist his temptation. We resist his temptation for us to be proud. Remember, pride is basically his primary attribute, his primary character trait, I should say. And we don't want to be proud like him. But as we resist him, he says, James tells us, he will flee from us. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 says this. Listen to this. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Think of it like this. You're on this journey of life, right? And you want to be on a journey toward righteousness, right? And it's like, you know, like Matthew 7 talks about there's a broad road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow road that leads to life. And it's like every baby step I take on that narrow road that leads to life, I'm a little bit farther away from the road that leads to destruction. And then I take, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect, but by God's grace, I can take another baby step. Like maybe it was a deliberate thing I had to do to resist the devil and he's fleeing from me. And as I go, the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. It's like the sunrise. You know, sunrise you can just kind of barely see and then as the morning dawns, right, pretty soon you got clarity, right? As the sun rises, you get clarity. The way of the wicked's the other way. They don't even know what makes them stumble. It's a great verse. It's a great verse. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So what's it mean to draw near to God? You know, when Tracy and I first, well, can I say fell in love? Can I say that? Is that not too, whatever. When Tracy and I first came to the realization that we wanted to be together, there was not much you could do to get in the way of me wanting to spend time with her. Is that reasonable? We were obsessed with each other. We still are in a different way. We're just not weird about it. We wanted to be, if you could say, hey, you can go whatever on a 
you can go to Disneyland today or you can hang out with, with Tracy for a couple hours. Disneyland just suddenly didn't matter. Right? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What's it look like to draw near to God? It means you want to be with him. It means you recognize who he is. means you want to do what he does. You want to think like he thinks. You want to hang out with other people that do the same. You want to live in his world. Does that make sense? You don't really care so much about going hanging out and smoking dope with your buddies and listening to your old Leonard Skinner music. I was talking about a friend, a friend of mine from high school. Not me. Right? You don't play Freebird with air guitar. Because <laughs> you'd rather hang out with God. Right? You ever notice that? Have you noticed that in your life? Stuff you used to do, you're like, that was dumb. Right? What's that mean? What are you doing? You're drawing near to God. The stuff that I think is fun now is not what I thought was fun when I was in high school and college. And the stuff that I thought was fun then, I thank God that my mother prayed for me enough that I lived through it. Right? Draw near to God. It's really not a religious formula. But it is so rich. Draw near to God. And guess what? When you do that, He'll draw near to you. What a promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Sometimes that means you need to wash your hands of some things. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's the heart? The heart is what we set our affection on. There's some things you just need to maybe not care so much about. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So lament and mourn and weep. It's not like we're supposed to be sad all the time. But the reality is this is serious business. This is serious business. Humbling ourselves is serious business. We should mourn our sin. And as we do that, and as we humble ourselves, he'll lift us up. He says, do not speak evil of one another. So he's now he's kind of going back to you know, the idea that he started out at the beginning about wars and fights among you. He says, do not speak evil among, among one another, brethren. Or, speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Remember I said we need to stay in our lane? When it comes to others, sometimes we need some discernment, right? If somebody's a bad influence on you, it's okay to draw back a little bit. Sometimes you need to just set up candid barriers, from some people. 
and sometimes people push it, and you need to set up barriers. That's not a, that's not a good place for me to be. But mostly, it's like, you know what? Sometimes you just need to draw away from people. That's discernment. That's not judgment. We're not the Holy Spirit for anybody else. We're no one's Holy Spirit. I just need to worry about Scott. Come now, you who say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So think of this. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 3, I said, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know, again, this goes back to a little bit of the, of, of, of the encouragement not to be presumptuous with God, not to, not to make our own plans and then ask God to bless it. Here's kind of a, a little more specific uh, example. In the ancient world, there were lots of sort of, you know, there was lots of trading by ship and, you know, a lot of commerce, not unlike our times today. And there were lots of people that would say, hey, you know, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Like you can hear the confidence in the voice of that person. Yeah. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Who's in control? God. People then, as well as now, were tempted to make grandiose plans and talk about it and what they're going to do and all of this, that, and the other. And, you know, this can apply to all aspects of our lives, honestly. It's wiser to say, God, what do you want me to do? What is God's will for my life? Like big picture as well as little picture. What does God want me to do today? Keep this in mind. God's infinitely wise. God loves me and has a plan and a purpose for my life. And God knows what's best for me better than I do. However, so often, we have a plan for our own lives or we presume to know what's best for us. And we think we know best. When Trace and I were young, we were going to have no kids. I told my pastor up in Indianapolis, I'll tell you one thing, one thing I know for a fact, I will never, and I said, I, I kind of, I think my head did this that day. You ever do this? You do this? You start to feel, you know, you're like a bobblehead. Well, you're about as intelligent as a bobblehead. And I said, I will never be a pastor. And I'm going to have no kids. And by the way, who in their right mind would ever live in a small town? Right? Does God know better or do I know better? And you know, if you ask me, what are your greatest blessings? Well, I'd say probably my family, this church, and my 
small town. Right? Who knows best? God does. God does. So come now, you who say, whatever it is you think is planned for your life. And even, let me just say this, whether we're old or young, we have this idea of what, like, the next 12 months is going to look like. Ever do this? Is it okay to plan? It's okay to plan. But don't hold on too tightly to your plans, right? Like, you know, over the next 12 months, this is how this is going to play out in my life, and I see it happening, and this person's going to, you know, come in line here, and this person's going to come in line here, and everything's going to kind of meld together according to my plan. That's super presumptuous. Be careful. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That's okay. If the Lord wills, we should do this or that. Are we okay sincerely asking God to show us his will and then obey it? Or deep down do we think we know best for ourselves? Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we should live and do this or that. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, familiar verses for many of us. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You know, when you hear that verse, oftentimes we, we sort of remember the trust in the Lord with all your heart part. We're Christians, we're in church. This is a Bible study. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I'm like, yeah, I'm with you on that. I can, you know, it's a journey. I'm not there, but I'm getting there. And then there's that annoying part. Lean not on your own understanding. That part's hard. I don't know about you, but in my mind, in my life, Trust the Lord with all your heart. I feel like I can get that. Lean not on your own understanding. That's hard. Because I got a lot of confidence in my own understanding. I think I kind of know what's best for me. And that's what the Lord has just slowly pulled away over the years. Right? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Verse 16, he says, but... Now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So remember, we said from last week, chapter 3, our, our words reflect what's in our hearts. And when we confidently boast about our leaning on our own understanding, James calls that arrogance and evil. So be careful. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So when we know to do good and we don't do it, that's sin. So we got to seek the Lord. Remember, uh, God's will, you know, prayer is not uh, bringing God's, our will to heaven, but God's will to earth. And so we need to be people that say, God, what do you want for us? Where should I go next? What sh how should I step? What should I do? How do I draw near to God? And then as he shows us, then we've got to be diligent to do so. A life of surrender to the will of God does not exempt us from challenge, but it does give us the assurance that we're not fighting God. And when we surrender to him, we're at peace with him, 
and with ourselves, and we're better equipped to be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you give us all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you that you give more grace than our sin. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And Lord, we thank you that you are always ready to lead us and to guide us. Lord, help us to be humble enough to be willing to do that. Please have your way with us, Lord, and guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, 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 healthy week.